I love space. Like outer space. You know, the space outside of the world. Or the space in between worlds. I'm not really sure how to describe it. I've always been obsessed with it. Like ever since I was a little kid, I've loved color patterns that remind me of outer space. So in reality, I was just obsessed with like white dot patterns on black backgrounds. When I was a little kid, my parents installed a planetarium in my room. Now, it wasn't anything too fancy. It was just like a light bulb with a black piece of plastic over it. And then, like, the plastic had holes punched in it to make it look like the constellations. And I remember laying in my bed at night and just staring at that for, like, hours. I used to listen to cassette recordings of astronauts talking and check out books at the library filled with pictures of planets, stars, and constellations. Here in St. Louis, our science center has what's called an Omnimax theater, which is shaped like kind of like a tin can with an oval-shaped top. The oval-shaped roof was essentially the entire screen, so it was like a it was like a, a 360-degree view of the entire screen. Maybe it wasn't 360. I guess I guess more like 180 because I can't turn my head all the way around in a circle. But anyway, I remember going there on a school field trip in like second or third grade. And it was a whole movie that was pinpointing all the different constellations and showed like a map of the galaxy. And I still remember almost every second of it. I remember being obsessed with space-themed music when I got into rock and alternative music. One of the bands that caught my attention was Hum and uh, a new band a few years later called 30 Seconds to Mars. I never even knew space rock was like a genre. And even now I haven't properly explored it as much as somebody who's obsessed with outer space probably should have when i eventually moved into like hardcore and metalcore music i became so engrossed in that music that it became pretty much the main thing that i've stayed obsessed with ever since i first heard it you know you kind of just tend to move on from other things so imagine my surprise the first time i ever hear hopes fall this is how it happened. I was with my buddy Mike searching for CDs at our local Slacker CDs and Game store, and I found an album called The Frailty of Words by Hopesfall in a hodgepodge section, and it only cost like $2. I loved the album because the band played like really, really melodic music, but it was also mixed with like really brutal, like hardcore screams, and even like a little bit of quote unquote emo singing. I remember going online, and this would have been probably like I think we may have had DSL by then, but like it was like you could go online easily, but you couldn't necessarily like stream music, but you could read about bands. You could read about bands and albums and sort of imagine what they sounded like. So a lot of the time I would just buy the CD and then if I liked it, then I would, I would sort of read up on the band and try to become something of an expert on what they were doing. And uh, so I read up more on Hope's Fall, and I realized that they had actually had quite a few albums out already, that I had actually bought their very first one from back in 1999. It's kind of crazy with how popular the band is now. That um, they've, sort of, they've sort of made a comeback in recent years. And uh, so, so the thought of like buying a Frailty of Words like original <laughs> release on CD for $2 in a hodgepodge bin just kind of blows my mind these days. Um, but you know, I basically went and found their other albums as quickly as I could. I went back to Slackers and of course, you know, I found the other albums under the H section and I remember picking up the satellite years and a types pretty much the exact same day. So I had, uh, I had three hopes fall records. And then I think a few weeks later I obtained their other album or their, their mini album or EP no wings to speak of. 
And those albums were news to me. I mean, A-Types was more of like a hard rock record with melodic and kind of spacey sounding melodies, which I really, really liked. Uh, but the vocals were mostly sung. And something about me, whenever I was a little bit younger, if a band wasn't like screaming like right off the bat <laughs> on an album, I probably would like skip to something else, you know. Uh, I would eventually go back to A-Types and find a lot to look about it. I know when I talked about it on a discography discussion, it sounded like I was slamming it. But I also think that was kind of a comparison thing, comparing it to a to an album that I really loved. Because A-Types is unfortunately that album that is sandwiched between two records that I am in love with. So, you know, I'm, I'm more about the bread necessarily than like what's in the sandwich. And we'll go ahead and get off the sandwich analogy because I have not eaten anything in about 12 hours, so... We're just gonna we're just gonna stop talking about food right now. But the music on the the music on the satellite years that album ruined me in the best way possible. The music on that album sounded exactly how I imagined space would sound. I don't know if Hope's Fall would classify themselves as a space rock band, but I kind of don't care what they call it. Uh, they sound like space to me. If space had hardcore or post-hardcore as its soundtrack. I think Hope's Fall would like be the official band uh, of outer space. But this episode's not about the satellite years. That episode might be so long that you may end up having to take some days off work in order to really take that one in. And what I realized when I listened chronologically is that this band had started off as a hardcore band that slowly transitioned into a spacey hardcore band that then transitioned into a spacey hard rock band. And it turns out that the band they had quite a few people sort of sort of come in and this is pretty typical of hardcore bands in the early 2000s you know they had a different singer they had a different you know the, the different guitar players when you get to the album magnetic north which is the album i'll be talking about on this episode among other things it basically was almost a completely different band minus like you had jay forrest as the lead vocalist and you had i think josh uh brigham was still playing guitar and so it still has that Hope's Fall sound, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, their original vocalist, Doug Venable, left the band right after No Wings to Speak Of, and Jay sort of came in and, and became the voice of Hope's Fall ever since. And needless to say, I, I am <laughs> a huge fan of everything Hope's Fall has done and probably will do in the future. And as much as I love the space aspect of that band and just space in general, in 2007, when Magnetic North came out, I was firmly planted here on Earth. I was young, I was in love, and I was pissed off. See, I had been dating the same girl since 2004. We did everything together. We were in our school's prayer groups together. We went to after-school Bible studies together. We were pretty inseparable, and we were in love, and we wanted to move forward in our lives and take that next big step into the new frontier of marriage. There's only a couple of problems with that. Her parents, they were not having any of this. <laughs> that year, we were both still college students and hadn't been out of high school for more than two or three years, and they were pretty concerned about a couple of things. Firstly, the fact that she was still in college. Secondly, I was also in college, but I was talking about uh, I was talking about dropping out at the time. Thirdly, I could not keep a job to save my life. More about that in the Norma Jean Redeemer episode. They grilled us for an hour whenever we went to talk to them about it, about about sort of making our plans. 
And, um, you know, they wanted to know, where, where are you guys planning on living? Uh, what job am I going to have? And, you know, these part-time jobs that I was working at, you know, trying to get through school, those weren't real jobs. And also at the time, it's worth mentioning that I was in a band that was, uh, you know, totally going to take off, man. Her and I discussed kind of before talking to her parents, like what we were going to say, because we kind of we kind of knew that they were going to come back with a lot of that stuff. So we had sort of sat down and practiced what we were going to say so that it sort of seemed like we were a united front and that we had had it all together and we had it all figured out. And at some point during this grilling session, she started to get upset and, and kind of go off script and uh, started kind of agreeing with her parents on certain points, disagreeing on other points. And me being as young and insecure as I was at that age, I felt completely betrayed. <laughs> like just totally betrayed. And I got, I got super angry. And so whenever I left the house and, and drove off, as a way to regulate my moods, I pulled out my CD book that you guys are going to eventually know all the contents of. And I grabbed my newly purchased copy of Magnetic North by Hopesfall and blasted back into my own personal version of space. I guess I cried a lot in my car in the mid-2000s, usually while listening to hardcore. It's kind of weird now that I think about it. Anyway, I remember getting to my house. I still live with my parents, and I immediately stole the batteries out of my Xbox controller to put them into my old planetarium because for whatever reason, uh, I mean, it had been a few years since I would used it, but I just kind of felt like I needed it. That, that was sort of the thing that I did back then is I, I would kind of put my headphones in, lay back in my waterbed, and uh, and sort of just, just blast off into space, so to speak, and, and go into my own world and, and try to think about things. It was my way of dealing with things, and honestly, I sometimes wish that I did that now in adulthood. I guess I have versions of it, but typically we only have time to sort of collect our thoughts like on the way to work and the way home from work. Back then, still living with my parents, so I'm just laying in my bedroom, listening to a record and, and being kind of upset. And I was also super upset because when I when I took the batteries and put them in my planetarium, the bulb was way burned out. And of course, it was a special bulb that you could probably have only gotten back when that thing was manufactured, which would have been like 10 or 15 years before that. Um, so I'm not really sure what I was expecting. I went ahead and transferred Magnetic North into my Discman, and I just listened to the whole record over and over and over again. The first song, RX Contender, The Pretender, just seems so close to my current situation. It was kind of scary. I'm sure everybody has a story of a song that seemed to be about their exact life situation. And uh, this one this one was mine. This was my version of it. And it turns out I related to a lot of these songs, probably because I was listening to music that was also being made by up-and-coming, emotionally charged 20-somethings. So the lyrics in this song, there's a highlight lyric that I really want to point out here because this is what really sort of tied it all together for me. In RX Contender, The Pretender, he says, I'm sensing something socially mechanical. Who's playing the angles when sometimes things are held to clinical? Bullshitters. They say that there are two types of men who chase their lovers, the one who cries and the one who's too stubborn. And uh, the title of that song, especially the pretender part, really hit me hard. Uh, I didn't respond to criticism very well back then. 
maybe sometimes I don't now. But the type of criticism that I have the most trouble responding to is criticism that's true, right? Like you, you know in your gut that it's true, and it it makes you feel bad. It's not it's not like somebody that is just trying to be mean to you. A lot of the time, that type of criticism is actually trying to help you. But it was really hard for me to see that back then, because as an adult, I totally understand why her parents didn't want us to get married. A year before that, I'd just been fired from a part-time job that I was at while I was going to school. I was living with my parents. I was in a Christian hardcore band that had recorded one album and played a few out-of-town shows. I never had any money. I was always negative and down and out, and I acted like the entire world was against me. I was entitled, and I felt like the world owed me something and that I was being mistreated by it. I probably looked like a seven-year-old kid from next door proposing to their little girl. I'd have laughed at me, too. And the whole her taking her parents' side mid-conversation part, yeah, th- those were those were her parents, and they, they were people that she still loved. She didn't want to take a side. And as a, as a mostly matured adult, I totally understand how delicate that situation was. However, at the time, my thought process was more like, mm, these people are being superficial. So what if I don't make enough money? I'll get a job eventually. We're in love. <laughs> right? I, I would never do anything to hurt her. I would always make her my first priority. You just you just want her to finish college so she can leave town and I'll never see her again. I, I don't want her to not finish college. They, they just want a daughter in college for the status of it. They want a successful son-in-law for the status of it. And as J4 spelled it out for me, I felt like it was a socially mechanical response. And I just couldn't deal. I just wanted to prove myself and to show them that I kind of sucked at that exact moment, but I would get better. See, at the time, I knew I was a loser, but I knew deep down inside that I wouldn't always be. So let's talk about this album. Magnetic North is an album that I didn't instantly like. I think that after hearing Satellite Years and A-Types, I was initially nervous that it was going to be more melodic and more commercial sounding than A-Types was, because that's typically how these things go with these kind of bands. At the time, I was still like a little bit more concerned with like how heavy a band was and, you know, like... You know, how is this gonna? How am I gonna relate to this if they're not screaming all the time? Because I'm disappointed with everything, so I want to scream all the time. So why don't these guys want to scream all the time? They're probably doing it because they think they're better than me. In all seriousness, though, Magnetic North is a beautiful album, and I think as far as the whole space rock aspect of this album goes, this is probably the most grounded in their discography. It's certainly the most like humans on Earth sounding. It's very emotional. It's packed with sort of this realness that maybe if they were like actually singing about space travel, I may not like really be as into it as I am. I like the sound. I like the vibe. You know, I like the the melody of this record. I like that it starts off really intense with RX Contender, The Pretender. Obviously, as I talked about before, that song really connected with me where I was at whenever I heard it. And this record is really all over the place. You know, you kind of go from something like A-Types, which is a little bit more commercialized. It's a little bit more clean sounding. It's a little bit more like, hey, guys, we're trying a thing on this record, right? Because the last record you would have heard before hearing A-Types would have been Satellite Years. And that record's a little bit more, um, I know a lot of people call it a metalcore release. I don't necessarily know, I, I think, enough sometimes about the differentiations between 
genres as I probably should, considering how long I've been doing music discussion-based podcasts at this point. But Satellite Years, I'm just going to say, was a hardcore album, basically, because the vocals were predominantly screamed. The band was overall heavier while still being intensely melodic, just not a lot of those clean vocals, whereas A-Types definitely was like, can we take this sound and sort of sort of try a new thing with it? Can we keep the melody in there? Can we, can we sort of keep the otherworldliness of it in there as part of the sound, but maybe go for songs that maybe radio listeners would be into? I'm not sure if that's what the actual mindset was going into it, but that's how it sort of felt hearing it. And with Magnetic North, they kind of they kind of still keep that, but it's like they just know how to write better choruses here. They know how to write better rock songs, but they don't do the overly repetitive hard rock band thing where you basically hear the first verse and you hear the chorus, and then you're like, okay, I know what the rest of this song is going to sound like now. They, they're able to sort of avoid that cliche on this record because, like, some of these songs will start off, like, super, super heavy, super screamy, super intense, really in your face until they sort of mellow out a little bit into a more recognizable sort of song structure. But even whenever you're in, you know, kind of a slower song or a little bit more predictable song, like a good example is Cubic Zirconias Are Forever is definitely one of those songs where you know it could be you know a radio single but then like i don't know the way that the melody of that song sort of like prods at you and there's a lot of like really interesting sort of tempo shifts that go on with that song to where it's familiar but it's not necessarily predictable and i think that's what really gets me on this album is that every single second of audio is sort of very densely packed with a lot of different things but overall if you like sort of step back and listen to the song for what it is as a whole you get a sort of very enjoyable song with very intensely personal and emotional lyrics as far as i can tell i've never been very good at dissecting jay forrest's lyrics but for whatever reason, the way he puts his words together and how he sort of enunciates over these songs, it gives me a vibe and a feeling. And as I've sort of talked about on other episodes of this podcast, I'm able to relate to it even if I'm not necessarily relating to what he's saying, if that makes sense. Like, I'm on, for Hope's Fall, you are 100% here for the vibe. You want to have that sort of sci-fi, almost otherworldliness to it. But at the same time, those very human emotions really, you know, maybe I should just give an example of what I'm talking about. There's a song on this record called I Can Do This on an Island, and it's only a minute long. It comes up right after Cubic Zirconians, and it's basically there's a line in that song where he's like, I'm slowly thinking of switching your head with my body. You know, I yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get that lyric, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't love it because it is one of the coolest sort of songs to put on when there's a friend around and hopefully they'll like, you know, they'll hear that lyric and they'll give you kind of a funny look. But, you know, I I really love the sort of the vibe of that song as short as it is because it just, it sort of makes me feel like lonely, like isolated a little bit, which I guess sort of fits in with the track title. But I don't know, like this record is able to sort of pull feelings out of me in a way that most music from this scene 
doesn't. Like a lot of a lot of bands from this era, like 2006, 2007, a lot of them for me were bands that I had already been listening to for probably three or four years at that point. And whenever I first heard a lot of these bands, they were hardcore bands. And as time went on and this kind of music got like a little bit more socially acceptable for people, it got more popular, it became a lot easier to, for these bands to sort of be like, okay, well, let's let's try to write music that's like more similar to what we grew up listening to, you know, on the radio. So I think that Hope's Fall was able to adopt that sort of strategy of you know, we want to play more, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, this is always hard to talk about because I'm never, I don't know what the actual motivations are behind why certain musical decisions were made. But I guess the point that I was trying to make with that is that, like, a lot of these bands that went more mainstream sort of lost their sincerity over time, right? Like, it's not that they weren't writing good songs or that they didn't, you know, enjoy what they were writing. And I'm talking about bands in general, not Hope's Fall. I think Hope's Fall is unique in that they sort of are still playing the kind of music that they've always played but presenting it in kind of a different way kind of like what i said on the norma jean episode with redeemer how they had sort of taken the elements that they were really good but packaged them in a different way in order to make it more acceptable i think hope's fall kind of did the same thing with a types and magnetic north they just did it better in magnetic north and i feel the emotions behind those songs better and they're able to sort of feel relatable even if i don't have a lyric sheet in front of me telling me exactly what the songs are about i enjoy sort of the more artistic aspects and the metaphorical aspects of jay's lyrics and sometimes the dude just puts good words together whether they mean anything to me personally or not and uh like i did with a lot of music at that time i sort of just associated my own i mean the entire point of this podcast sort of associated what i was hearing with what was going on in my own personal life you know, and I always say this as a disclaimer, I'm not here to do a track by track review, but typically whenever you listen to a podcast like this, you kind of want to know what, what songs, you know, you should check out from a record. And on this record, I will tell you the songs that I listened to the most in the car, usually when I was crying, cause I was, you know, upset about something would have been RX contender, the pretender swamp kittens east of 1989 battle of the bay bird flu devil's concubine and head general hospital now there's another song on this album called saskatchewan which was not ever on my cd version of of this album back when it came out i didn't hear that song until later when people started posting it on youtube it's always labeled as a b-side but as far as my understanding goes that song was always supposed to be included on magnetic north the entire time but for whatever reason the record label trust kill decided that they didn't want that song on there so they just axed it and now if you listen to the album on streaming that song will be included so i want to give that song an honorable mention i don't have the history with it but i like it and i understand why it, why the band had always wanted it to be included as part of the entire package specifically bird flu and devil's concubine i love those songs so much because the meathead in me is sort of very satisfied with those songs. Those songs in particular, even along with the first two, RX and Swamp Kittens, they sort of really towed the line between the heavier Hope's Fall sound and the more like hard rock Hope's Fall sound. And so like hearing Jay kind of go from his like kind of more pretty singing into like that old kind of old school Hope's Fall sound and Bird Flu and 
Devil's Concubine has a very, very satisfying sort of climax towards the end. Uh, goes into screaming and then eventually the screaming fades out and it goes into this just like beautiful like sort of spacey almost like intercepting transmissions sort of sound which is you know a lot of those a lot of those sort of background sound effects in hope's fall is worth the price of admission for me like it's it's kind of why i'm here back into the whole like sort of sci-fi and, and space theme of the sound even if it's not necessarily the theme of the lyrics despite not necessarily loving the album the first time I heard it, I can definitely tell you that over the next two years, this album grew on me in a way to where it is still my favorite Hope's Fall album to this very day. Even though they, they put out Arbiter, obviously, in 2018, and I love that record a lot. This one will always stick with me because of sort of what I went through when I was listening to it the most. Because, you know, after this whole conversation with my future wife's parents about you know how I basically just was a loser and not good enough for their daughter two weeks later I dropped out of college which is like kind of kind of like their biggest fear and like I said earlier I'll, I'll get into why I did that in a different episode with a different album but I'll just suffice to say it was a total scam school it sucked I had reasons I actually don't regret those reasons I regretted them then because it was kind of, it felt like at the time, kind of a, a final nail in my coffin. I remember going back to her parents' house and I asked her dad for permission to marry me. And uh, sorry, man, every time I talk about marriage on this podcast, I always say it weird. I didn't ask her dad to marry me. I asked his permission for me to ask his daughter to marry me. He said no. And, uh, you know, we sort of went back and forth and it was a whole thing. And I probably stomped off to my car and then cried and listened to Hope's Fall. And, you know, it was it was just the way that it was. Eventually, I did pop the question and she said yes. But all of this was dependent heavily on the fact that there were requirements that we had to meet. And sort of going back to the lyrics on RX Contender, The Pretender, you know, specifically the part of the song where Jay sings, you know, there's two types of men who chase their lovers. There's the one who's cr who cries and the one who's too stubborn. And it kind of turned out that I was both of those things. I was too prideful at the time to admit that I didn't want to compromise. I just wanted things the way that I wanted them. But I was also young and also, you know, would cry about it when things didn't go my way. So I definitely embodied both of those things, but I used the whole like, well, they're just being stuck up and it's socially mechanical and all of that. I like really sort of used that as my banner through that entire part of my life. And eventually I realized that in order to, in order to get things out of life, you, you have to, you have to be able to compromise. You have to be able to meet some goals, meet some requirements. And the requirements that they had uh, was I needed to find full-time work. Uh, so I did end up getting a, a job at a bank, which you guys already know about. And so I did do that. Uh, I had to be serious about keeping those jobs, which uh, I, I feel like I'm still working on that to a certain degree. She also had to finish her schooling so that if her and I broke up, you know, a year into our marriage or decided to get divorced or something, that she wouldn't be completely out in the dark and not be able to support herself. Totally get that now. Didn't get it then. Didn't like it then. Uh, we were engaged for a full two years. There was a lot of strife 
and there was a lot of opposition. There was turmoil. There was turmoil with me and her sometimes. There was turmoil with her parents, turmoil with my parents, turmoil with friends. You know, there, were, there was a lot of, like, sort of back and forth with personal things in our lives, not having money. These are all the same sort of human things that I think everyone deals with. They're not unique to me. But I remember just sort of always having that feeling that everything was always in danger of being taken away from me. Like at some point she was going to decide that it wasn't worth it, you know? And she was basically agreeing to marry a guy that was still essentially learning how to not be a child anymore. I remember just sort of always having a problem internalizing a lot of that strife and that frustration. And it always manifests itself as noise to me. Just like dissonant radio static noise in my head. Very similar to the kind of noise that you would get in the background of Magnetic North by Hope's Fall. So it really, like, I think that's part of why that record was so relatable to me is that noise was always there. And even when I wasn't listening to that record, the noise was always there. But two years later, we stood at an altar. We dedicated ourselves to each other forever in front of a whole lot of people and I don't remember a whole lot about the ceremony. I don't remember a whole lot of anything. I was super nervous. Still had that noise in my head. Still afraid that at the last second, you know, like on a on a cheesy sitcom that somebody was going to run in and be like, "No, no, 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 no. This is this can't happen. This has to stop. This is over." It didn't really occur to me how real this was until we had our first dance together at the wedding reception. And I remember walking up to her and us looking at each other. And this is really cheesy, but I remember us looking at each other. And in that moment, suddenly those two years of noise and all the irritation and the dissonance just faded from my brain. And everything was new. It had new meaning. It was clear. And it was perfect. There's this sort of picture in my brain where I think back to us leaving that reception in the back of my brother's Ford Taurus that night to go start our new life together. And even though I knew my problems weren't going to just disappear one day, the noise of my brain would eventually return. I took a lot of comfort, though, knowing that I wasn't going to have to face it alone anymore. This was now a two-passenger vessel, and this story will absolutely be continued in the Arbiter episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon about Hope's Falls Magnetic North. Still love this record. Still listen to it all the time. I don't listen to it every day like I used to, but after doing this episode, I might just uh, drop that into the regular rotation again because listening to it and getting ready for this episode 
just really brought back so much of those feelings and those emotions and how important this record was to me at that time in my life and continued to be important to me for a very, very, very long time. If you guys think that this record's important, if you guys like this record, share your stories. Uh, if you don't want to share them publicly, I totally get it. Send me an email, dftdungeon at gmail.com. I want to hear your guys' story. Leave a comment. Subscribe to the podcast if you guys like these episodes. Let me know. I'm on social media in all of the regular places. I have a Patreon. There's links in the show notes. I really just want to thank you guys so much for uh, listening to this podcast, all the people that have subscribed, all the people that have come to the Discord. You guys are all amazing, and I really don't know what I'd do without you. I'd just be talking in the dark in my basement to nobody, which I'm totally fine with, but I, I do enjoy your guys' interaction. So keep it up, and I will see you guys again on the next episode.